Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... It's Liam. Liam, how are you this morning? I'm very good. Are you very I'm, good I'm this still, morning? I'm still trying different things for, for introducing myself. Okay, so good. Um, good is good. Yeah, but no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm real good. Well, let me see if I can top that. Uh, this morning, I am exceedingly good. Ooh. Yeah, see, quite there's, there's, proper. I've got a Bible angle there because in Daniel chapter 8, it goes from good to very good to exceeding good with the various uh, nations, or great to very great to exceedingly great amongst the various nations that arise. And tell me, Lyle, is there anything this morning that you are exceedingly grateful for? Ooh. <laughs> I'm exceedingly grateful for help that I got. Yes, last night. Yes. So uh, Emery helped me until about 7.30 last night working on the house, which was working on the shed, which was amazing. Emery, your son? Yep. So it's always get good to have a helping hand. You get things done at twice the speed. Very good. Well, this morning I am exceedingly grateful for the world and not the world in general. That's a, that's a big thing to be thankful it's a big for. Thing. It's actually quite a small thing. It's a It's a plush, squishy ball that's... Oh, the got, world ball. It's got the world... Yes, it's a world ball. It's, I can fit it in exercise my hand. Exercise ball. It's an exercise ball. Oh, it's a bit small. It's like a... It's a bouncy... There we go. A bouncy ball. It's a bouncy ball. And I'm thankful for this because... Is it soft enough to throw around the office? It... Oh... It might break something. Look, you could you could gently yeah. throw it around. It's definitely not a cricket ball. It's definitely not a cricket ball, no. Um, I'm thankful for those too. Uh, but this morning in particular, I am thankful for this ball because, you know, it's just... It's just fun, you know? Just something to squeeze. Something to... Something, you know. something to exercise your fingers with you in the early in the morning. To- what do you like to fidget with? If you like to fidget with something, I'm the greatest fidgeter on the planet. Uh, maybe give us a call and tell us what you're thankful for. You know, I remember when the fidget spinner came out. Uh-huh. To this day, I've never touched one. There you go. I've done quite well. When I, when they first came out, I was against them. And okay. I, guess, I guess I still have a little bit. Fidget opposer. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, Liam, what have we got happening in positively different news today? In positively different news, we I've got... Okay, so over in Boston, in America, there is an animal that escaped the zoo and it went around and, and the police had to catch it, okay? Yep. And Good I'm going to play the sound of this animal and I want you to see if you can guess it. Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready, I'm ready. We're ready, ready for this. Let's see if this works. Okay. <laughs> It's it's a bird. It is a bird. Do you know which bird? You said guess which animal it was. I said it was a bird. Okay, do you know, which, you know right. which specific bird it is? Is it like a lyre bird or something? No, it's not a lyre bird. Hmm. It's a very beautiful bird. A peacock. It is a peacock. There you go. So if you go with a lyre bird, then hey, you know, any bird can be a lyre bird I know. because they just lie all the time. But I'm going to turn that off because it's incredibly annoying. <laughs> So the peacock uh, decided to go for a bit of a tour through Boston? It did indeed. And then the policemen had to go and ca- they, they, they cornered it, but they were a bit afraid to catch it. So they, they just sort of kept it there while they contacted the zoo. And the zoo people came and, and sorted out this, this they, like they nicely sorted out this peacock and took it back to the zoo. Peacocks. Are and the reason, the reason why it got out is typically, because at, at the zoo, they just roam around freely. They haven't got a cage yeah, or anything. They right. roam around freely. They and, like that at most zoos. Yeah. And at the moment in America, it's it's mating season. And so it's believed that this particular peacock was looking for love. Yeah, but he's not going to find much outside of the zoo. <laughs> well, he doesn't know that. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I guess the competition may have been a bit tight inside the zoo. So, well, let's uh, see if there's anything outside the zoo. 
Well, he probably, um, yeah, Boston would be the wrong place to go looking for it, love. If it would indeed. Oh, I've seen some some male peacocks really. They they've really shown each other off, and they are they gorgeous birds. Oh, one of the most oh, probably my favourite bird. If I'm being honest, they are my favourite bird to look at, not to hear. Because as we just experienced, listening to them isn't great. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. Mind, I don't find it offensive as some birds. I, it's it's not amazing, but it's not terrible. Mm. It's yeah. But they are the most stunningly beautiful birds on the planet. Just about to look at, particularly when they you know fan their tail out. Yes. And, uh, you know, do the whole display. It's just absolutely remarkable. I've watched and, some um, Animal Planet, and there's and even there's a whole bunch of other birds that do some crazy. I don't know, looking like aesthetically nice, but they do some pretty wild dances, which is always fun do. to watch. They do. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was a little bit something fun that we could talk about briefly this morning. Uh, but in other news, uh, still in America, they uh, they've got they're putting in in all the cities in in America. They're putting um, portable or, or, or temporary sinks so that the homeless people can, can wash their hands. Oh, nice. Yeah, so th- it's not it, it's different to, um, you know, the, the water fountains that you put, that you just drink from. Yep. It's specifically, you know, sink. A sink you can, for you washing can, hands. You can plug it. You can, there's soap. And I think, have you ever, have you ever worked with uh, people that, you know, doing it a bit rough? Sure. Or, yeah, or, absolutely. I, I um, when I lived in Cairns, I uh, I did something called, called Rosies, and if you ever go to Cairns and you hear about Rosies, they're an amazing bunch of people. Um, it is an it's it's not it is, it's a Christian organisation, um, and run by some amazing people, and um, yeah, so I got involved with that. And one thing that they all like that every single time without fail that I went out that they always asked for was um, little sanitary packs that we that we sent out because. That's how they'd clean themselves. That's right. That's their that's their their bath, their shower. Exactly. They'd have a, a bit of a spit bath, and away they go. So now that they've got <laughs> now that they've got this these sinks in America, I think I, I, th- these homeless people or people less fortunate than us, they've got something to clean themselves with. It's great that's, idea. that's other than just a couple of wipes. Yep. And I think it's great. I think we should get in Australia. It's a little bit like that uh, organisation that has the bunch of uh, washing machines on, on the back of a trailer. Oh yes, what are they? I can't remember what they're called. Great idea. But Goes around and keeps. Yeah, uh, we've we've keeps had them up in Cairns as well. Yep. Um, and they just they um, all the home, homeless people get uh, fresh fresh clean clothes. Yep, that's it. And um, there's countless wonderful organisations that uh, are really doing great things for the people that uh, are doing it a bit rough. Yep. Just trying to make ends meet. And you know they're not always homeless. One thing that I found that was that was really interesting to me was that sometimes there was people that were just lonely, people that just you know wanted to meet with other people. So they weren't they weren't physically homeless, but they were emotionally homeless, I guess. And yeah, it was really nice to just sort of sit down and have a chat, sort of hear their story. And some of them are homeless because they that's their that's that's their choice. They actually do have a home where they could go to if they wanted to, but they prefer to live uh, that particular lifestyle and. Um, you know, I've met a number like that and become good friends with some people who were sort of, you know, in, in that kind of category. Indeed. Uh, more often than not, no, it is it is circumstantial. Oh, absolutely. But, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know if there's been many people that are less fortunate uh, listening to Faith FM, but if they are, um, we're thinking about you, you know, we care about you and um, we hope that you can find a radio more often and so that you can listen to us. Um, so, yeah. Indeed. And other and, and one my last story I did <laughs> I did a similar story to this the other week and I'm going to do it again. Think about the potato. What can you do with a potato, Lyle? 
Ooh, what can I do with a potato? There's a lot of things I can do with a potato. You can bake it. I, I, I can use it as a windscreen wiper. You can use it as a windscreen wiper. Absolutely. You can fry it. You can... There's... You can... I've seen people grow plants out of them. Here's a hack for you. If your windscreen wipers give out, take a potato, cut it in half, rub it on your windscreen and drive away and it causes the water to beat up. Really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things you can do. You can, uh, you can plant them. You can eat them as chips. You can... Potatoes like my favourite food on the planet. I'm they do sure, all right. I'm pretty sure they've, they've got to be up there with the, my favourite staple, I should say. Not they my favourite food. Right. Raspberries are my favourite food, but potatoes are my favourite staple. Indeed. Um, what else can we do? We can you can do spuds, hot spuds. Put them in the fire, cook them up. Uh, you can do uh, potato bake, like mashed potato, mashed potato. potato that's pie, a good one. Potato pie, potato soup, shepherd's pie. Is that the one that's got potato on the top? Yep. Yeah, potato so, <laughs> shepherd's pie. So there's countless th- ways that you can use potato for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just think about all the amazing things that God can use you for. Think about that. If God can do all the, if, if, you, if we can, as humans, can do all these things with potatoes, think about all the amazing things. You can things use that, them in a potato, potato, potato gun. Oh, that, uh, you can indeed. Yes. I don't know if that's something. It's one that, of the best uses of potato, I think. God would endorse. But, um, <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm thinking about turning this into a little segment. Every couple of days, I might just pick a fruit and think about all the amazing things we can do with them. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, joining us on the phone this morning is Steve from uh, Three Angels Australia. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? Good. Thank you. Now, um, just as a bit of an introduction, Three Angels Australia is partnered with uh, Three Angels Nepal, uh, which is partnered with Asian Aid and Captivating, which are all charitable organizations that are operating overseas and particularly in the country of Nepal. And uh, Steve, part of your charity is, or part of the work that you're doing overseas, part of the uh, the aid that you are doing overseas involves uh, rescuing women, and uh, I guess short circuiting the circuiting the uh, the women from uh, sex trafficking and the uh, and and the sex trade in Nepal. As we begin today, because I want to look at, okay, how do we actually sort, short-circuit that whole process, but how big of a problem is this in a developing country like Nepal? Oh, look, it, it's really huge. Um, if you look at the Free Angels, web, Free Angels Nepal website, it'll tell you that something like uh, uh, 20,000 women are trafficked uh, every year. So, But we use the word women generically here. It starts from, you know, um, age eight or thereabouts, I've seen, through to obviously the teen years and, and into early early 20s. Women of all ages can be trafficked. It also involves boys as well. So um, it, it's a huge problem, particularly in a country like Nepal, where there is such uh, poverty and such need. Yeah. With is is poverty the main driving factor behind what is taking place here? Sorry, the the main factor. Look, the, um, I, I think uh, poverty and lack of education, lack of facilities. Uh, I mean, at this particular time, um, the the lockdown in Nepal itself is having quite a, quite a big impact. Um, we also saw it at the time of the earthquake when it happened that there were a lot of people that were displaced and they didn't have uh, uh, food in their villages. They had no water in their villages and that put a lot of people out but were on the street and, and very vulnerable. And 
young children become vulnerable. So it's it's a real problem right across uh, that lower end of uh, lower socioeconomic demographic of that society. Are these are these uh, are these children and young people being trafficked within Nepal, or are they being trafficked internationally? Um, look, some is within Nepal, but a, a large portion is trafficked uh, across the border to India. That's the, um, the the mainland border that they have. Nepal is totally landlocked, so they um, end up getting um, taken across the border to um, to India to a large degree to some of the biggest cities close by. Uh, and some of, it's estimated that some of the uh, brothels there have, you know, several thousand Nepali women at any at any time. So uh, that's where Three Angels Nepal have um, centred part of their work along that border. They have a number of booths that they um, uh, are able to to stop uh, the, the traffic and to uh, try and pick the women who are at risk, who appear as if they're being trafficked. And, and some of the people who've been rescued themselves are working there, so they. They're sort of aware of the situation and they're aware of the circumstances that uh, places vulnerable women there. One of the um, issues that we've been following here somewhat on The Breakfast Show is the issue of sex selection abortion, which has created a tremendous imbalance of men to women in India. Do you see any evidence of that as being one of the driving factors that has made uh, sex trafficking so lucrative? Uh, look, I, I, I can't comment on that. I, I wouldn't have any information to back it up whatsoever. Uh, I think there's sort of basic human driver of need, greed, money, and all sorts of things that come at play. Um, so I, 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 I wouldn't be thinking that it's about... Uh, uh, imbalance of number of men and women, but you know the, those the, the work that Three Angels does is to really focus on rescuing these girls, trying to rehabilitate them, uh, and looking also at um, prevention. And they do prevention by education with their radio station, with their schools, with their uh, various programs like teaching these girls to 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 bake, to, to have skills, um, baking, tailoring, hair salon, hairdressing. So they, they have a variety of skills that they teach these girls. But, uh, you know, it's it's fine to uh, work at one end, but it's also very, very important to work on the prevention part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to I want to I want to focus in on that because I mean you can stop uh, you know these girls at the border or wherever from being trafficked across the border and so forth, but. You know, if you are only ever stopping them at that point, then you are not actually solving the problem. And I understand that Three Angels has gone in there with an agenda to actually, you know, cut this whole thing off at the source by providing education. Can you tell us about the kind of educational work that you have happening in Nepal and the philosophy behind it? Yeah, so Three Angels Nepal themselves started there in about 2004 and for about five years they rescued a number of people that they soon realised that they actually needed to uh, uh, to uh, approach that in a different way apart from just human trafficking. So what they did was they started a school and currently they're educating something like 500 kids in a school. Mind you, it's not functioning because of a lockdown at the moment, uh, but they have up to 500 students in their school and in that school there's a mixture of uh, fee paying and also sponsored children. So it, it, it sort of educates right across the socio, uh, 
social demographic there. They have a number of homes that they look after children who've been abandoned or who've been uh, in disadvantaged homes, etc. They have uh, a community radio. And in fact, that's become very important during this coronavirus lockdown because there was very little... Um, information being spread out uh, locally in Pokhara about how to uh, deal with the, the lockdown and they're able through education, through the radio, be, be giving information. Um, Three Angels Nepal also run a, um, a program they call Hamro Abiyan. They, they actually go and their high school students go and educate people about trafficking and how to avoid it and how to be aware of it. Uh, so they have a whole lot of different things. And what we're trying to do as Strangels Australia is to support them in their work. There's there's a, an acute need right now for relief, for medical supplies, for, you know, for food, etc. But also long term, we want to, um, uh, we've purchased land to build a school and the homes to, to make them self-sufficient because at the moment, they're about 15 to 20% self-sufficient, and the rest is by donor dollars. And that's, that's tough to be going out year after year after year requesting money, um, whereas we're trying to put a program in place that is going to make them self-sufficient in the long run. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, we often look at aid organisations operating overseas, and they seem to be a bottomless pit and you know, we can never pour enough money into that bottomless pit to ever solve the problems. And it's all, it almost becomes you know, like, well, you just sort of throw your hands up in horror. But if you can create something that is self-supporting, then you have a model that can replicate itself and is not so reliant on just you know, pouring money in, whereas it actually is able to support itself. Yeah, totally. Look, th this is where you come into my passion. My passion is education. And look, I, um, I didn't make the phrase up. Nelson Mandela said it, that education is the most powerful agent of change in the world. And this is what is, is really required. If we can educate that society right from where it go, and I don't mean necessarily high-level education. We just mean giving people skills, empowering the local community with skills that will allow them to be self-sufficient. That, that's what they need. So we, we have uh, supported the safe haven home for the rescued girls and supported teaching them the, the skills of baking and tailoring, etc. that I mentioned before. They have an ability to provide microfinance loans. They are able to grow and they actually have a, a water tank that they go and sell water in the, uh, because they've got good water supply. So there's a lot of very basic skills that they require, but if we can put them on a, on a solid basis that they can gradually build up and become self-sufficient, that, that's really what they need. Yeah, the old analogy of give a man a fish and you fed him for a day, give him a fishing line, you fed him for the rest of his life. Um, and, Absolutely. And, and that's, the, that's the path that we really need to focus on in these things. You mentioned that with the school there, you've got about 500 students that you are catering for, um, a mixture of fee-paying and non-fee-paying. What would the mixture be of, say, fee-paying to non-fee-paying? Yeah, it's it's about um, to, it's about almost half and half, and it's a very interesting uh, project that Regenda took on. He opened the school in 2011 with about 150 kids that were all, um, you know, the the group he was looking after that were being um, 
supported by Asian aid or, or different aid organisations. And then gradually they, they built such a good school that they got children to come to the local community because they were teaching in English, they were teaching good subjects, the kids were performing well. Um, so it's about 50-50 where the aim of the school is to actually virtually, it's almost self-sufficient because the fee-paying students are paying for the other kids supporting the, uh, that are in the school. So in the long term, it, one, you're educating people, two, you're actually uh, giving them a, a tool that they can be a, a, an agent of change in their local community. And, and so I think that's, that's really important that you've got that mixture, that it's not just a little mission school that is purely um, supporting 50 kids. It's, it's actually working in the community and the children from outside come and go out. They, you know, get the message that, uh, you know, the approach that Rajendra is taking at Three Angels Nepal is, is trying to put them on their feet and give them skills. Yeah, and of course, if this is a model that that can be replicated around the you know around Nepal, I should say, then you know those of us who have means, who have money, you know, can continue to donate to projects like this. And as each one gets on its own feet, we can then move on to another one rather than just focusing on on the you know the one bottomless pit, so to speak, and and continue pouring money into it. How far does our money go overseas in Nepal? Um, you know, when we donate to a cause like this, I mean, how how much money would it cost to educate a kid for a year, for instance? Um, okay, educating one of the children for a year is probably um, around about a thousand dollars, or or there. Well, look, um, one sponsoring a child is about a hundred costs about a hundred Australian dollars a month, and that provides them. That provides them with uh, with shelter, with food, with schooling, all that that sort of stuff. But um, I'm sorry, I've lost my train of thought for a minute there. Um, the one thing I wanted to say about our organisation is that all the money we give here goes over there. We we are in a position at the moment where some donors are supporting the administration, so that all money is donated to. Um, Free Angels Australia will actually just go 100% to Nepal. But at the same time, um, from their point of view, they, they, um, they, they need quite a bit to, to sustain the programs that they have and provide the skills. So it's, um, yeah, it's a struggle for them. And, and right now they, they're really at a very difficult time. And that's why we, we set up this, um, virtual event on June 20th to be, saying, look, the gap, the gap just got wider for them. It's more difficult. We're talking about the young people being affected here by this lockdown, by the shutdown economically and everything that's happened. It's just 100 times worse over there. The, the, they're in lockdown. People have gone back to their villages. They have less resources. It's a very difficult time. Okay, so the, it's a very difficult time over there, but what about for aid organisations like yourself has the income been consistent here in Australia, you know, through you to them uh, during the lockdown and, and the COVID crisis here? Yeah, look, uh, we're coming up to June and that's always a, a time that we well supported. So that's why we wanted to maintain the awareness of people about our program. Um, uh, it, it, look, it's, it's trickling over. And obviously, as an organisation, we had some... Um, 
resources available, but it's not indefinite. You know, it's not like a, a big pool that I can just dig in every day and just take more money. There's no money tree, I think uh, Josh Frydenberg said. You know, uh, so we we do need uh, donors to, to support our work. And if they uh, want to look at our website and look at the information that's coming out in the next uh, few weeks over Instagram and Facebook, if, um, they'll become aware of the, the work and, and how they can possibly donate to that. Fantastic. Tell us, uh, just finish up by telling us a little bit more about the event and how we can be part of the event that is coming up uh, in June. Yeah, so it'll be uh, a, a Zoom type event, but uh, it'll be on a on Saturday, uh, Saturday the twentieth of June uh, at about five o'clock, between five and six. So it'll be a, a virtual event, and information will be going out on, on Facebook by email. So it'll be on our website. So if people just want to remember Free Angels Australia and Free Angels Nepal, either of those websites will have information there. So it'll be interviews with some of the local people who've been over. It'll be interviews with uh, Rajendra Bhagavan himself, uh, who's the CEO of Friends of Nepal. It'll be uh, a video of work that's happened over there. Uh, there'll be some items. So it'll be a, a mixed program to, to make people aware of, of the work that's being done in uh, with Friends of Nepal. Steve, thank you so much for joining us this morning here on Faith FM. We will get you back on to talk more about this project uh, in June as it gets closer. This is definitely something we want to uh, see supported right now. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We have come time for question of the day. And today's question is, it's quite, it really intrigued me. It is... Will How will God judge people who are forced into sinful lives? For example, over in Africa and all around the world, there are children who are forced to be child soldiers or forced into to do uh, prostitution or into slavery. And so th- they, they don't really have an option to, to do this. And children are much more manipulatable than adults. And so how will God judge these people, these children, when it comes to Judgment Day? Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly how God will judge, you know, children who have been forced to do terrible, terrible things. But the Bible certainly speaks about those who do, who force them to do those terrible things. And the Bible says that it was better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and for them to be thrown into the ocean. Um, and so, yeah, the, the judgment coming upon those who abuse children the Bible uses very, very strong language to describe, and I think that all of us can relate to that because we all just recoil in horror when people do horrific things to children, and particularly, you know, force them to be child soldiers or force them into sex slavery. We had an interview with uh, Steve Raymond here earlier from Three Angels Australia, who works with Three Angels Nepal, where a lot of children are being trafficked. Um, around about 20,000 every year being trafficked into sex slavery. And so how does, how does God judge that? Okay, so the answer is, I'm not God, I don't know. But the Bible does give some principles by which God judges. And in Psalms 87 and verse 5, the Bible says, uh, sorry, Psalms 87 verse yeah, 5 and 6, And of Zion it shall be said, this man and the... This and that man was born in her. And the, was there? Verse, seven, verse 6, I'll go verse 6. The Lord shall count when he writes up the people that this man was born here. 
What's it actually speaking about in this passage? Well, here you have God counting and God writing up the people. Well, why would God write up the people? What kind of a book is this? This is a book about the people. Now, the Bible describes the books of judgment or the records by which God judges the world. And the Bible says that when God judges the world, he takes into account where a person is born. In other words, he takes into account the circumstances in which a child is born. And so I see here that God is holding children to a lesser level of accountability than he is holding adults. And so adults are held to a very high level of accountability. And when children are taken at a very young age, they're abused at a very young age. They're only shown one form of lifestyle from a very young age. They kind of only will learn one thing. And if they are, if the only thing that they are learning is violence, then that's kind of all that they know. The Bible says over in the book of Acts, we're going to go over to Acts chapter 17. And we'll look at a passage over here. Acts chapter 17. Uh, is it Acts 17? Yes, Acts 17 and verse 30. The Bible says, And the times of this ignorance, God winks at her, he turns a blind eye to it, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world. So once again, speaking about the judgment, the Bible says that God turns a blind eye to those things that we are ignorant of. Now, on the basis of that, I've had some people come to me and said, well, I'm never going to study the Bible again. Because the more I know about the Bible, the more accountable I will be. And I'm afraid of God. And so therefore, the less I know about the Bible, the less accountable I will be. Well, there's, there's a couple of different aspects to that. Number one, if you're afraid of God, then you've got a problem. You don't understand God. If you don't want to know what God says, you don't have a relationship with God. He's not your friend. But there's also the fact that, you know, it's not just about what God has revealed to us. It is the knowledge that he has made available for us to understand. And so if, we, if God gives us the opportunity to learn some knowledge and we're like, yeah, you know what, I don't want to learn that knowledge, we're still held accountable for that knowledge. And so what God tells us is that God takes into account the circumstances in which we are born, and also the level of knowledge that we have. And a lot of these children that are forced into sex slavery or child soldiering have very, very little knowledge of God, and it is not until they learn about God that they become accountable to God. Ultimately, ultimately we leave the decision to Him. 